Thank you for the opportunity that we have today to worship you. Truly, we have hope. Hope that is not built on ourselves, what we have done or what we will ever do, but hope that is built on you, God. Hope that is built on your character, on your work, on your promise. Hope that is built upon your love and what you have done for us by your grace. Hope, Lord, that resounds to your glory. Hope that we receive by nothing else other than putting our faith in you, God, and in your Son, Jesus, who lived, died, and rose again for our salvation. We thank you, Lord, for hope. Hope that is not an idea, but hope that is a person. Hope that is not dead, but hope that is right now alive and interceding for those who believe. We thank you for a living hope, God. Oh God, I pray that you administer to us, your church today. Oh Lord, I know that there are so many things going on in hearts and in lives. And oh God, you know us and you know all of these things and you care for us. You invite us to come and to receive grace and help in our time of need. So, Lord, I pray that your people would come to you today and trust you. And, Lord, find in you that your grace is truly sufficient. Oh, Lord, I pray that you would speak to us from your word. Thank you for your word that is alive and your Holy Spirit that can take your word and pierce our hearts with what you say and transform us into your image. Oh God, we need a work today, not a work that happens the listening of the ear, but a work that happens by the listening of the heart. And God, we cannot do this work on our own, Lord. We ask that you would speak to our hearts and that you would change us today. Oh God, we're praying on this mission Sunday that Lord, what happens here by the work of your spirit and your word would truly bear fruit for the glory of your name among all peoples. We are praying, Lord, let the peoples praise you. Let all the peoples praise you. Let the nations sing and shout for joy. So, Lord, we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, good morning, church. I'm Barrett, one of the pastors here, and we welcome you this morning. If you've got your Bibles, I encourage you and ask that you please get it open to Matthew chapter 10. We are so glad that you've chosen to worship with us today. And we are in the middle of a series walking through the Gospel of Matthew and walking through our series called Jesus Messiah. And it is our heart, as we have just heard in the introduction song to this message, that we want to know Jesus and we want to know him more. And that is exactly why Matthew writes that we might have the opportunity to know Jesus and to know him more. So today we're going to be in Matthew chapter 10. That is our focus. I'm going to start reading in Matthew chapter 9, verse 35, because it's relevant in our lead up to our study today of Matthew chapter 10. And I encourage you to read from your Bible. And if you don't have a Bible, you're welcome to read from the screens. Um, I read from the English Standard Version. 
And we will begin in Matthew chapter 9, verse 35 through chapter 10. God's word says this, And Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. And he called to him his 12 disciples and gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal every disease and every affliction. The names of the 12 apostles are these. First, Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, Philip and Bartholomew, Thomas and Matthew, the tax collector, James, the son of Alphaeus and Thaddeus, Simon, the Canaan, Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. Of these twelve, Jesus sent out, instructing them, Go nowhere among the Gentiles and enter no town of the Samaritans, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And proclaim as you go, saying, The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse lepers, cast out demons. You receive without paying and give without pay. Acquire no gold, nor silver, nor copper for your belts, no bag for your journey, nor tunics, nor sandals, nor staff, for the laborer deserves his food. In whatever town and village you enter, find out who is worthy in it and stay there until you depart. And as you enter the house, greet it. And if the house is worthy, let your peace come upon it. But if it is not worthy, let your peace return to you. And if anyone will not receive you or listen to your words... Shake off the dust from your feet when you leave that house or town. And truly, I say to you, it will be more bearable on the day of judgment for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah than for that town. Behold, I am sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. So be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. Beware of men, for they will deliver you over to the courts, and they will flog you in their synagogues. And you will be dragged before governors and kings for my sake, to bear witness before them and the Gentiles. When they deliver you over, do not be anxious how you are to speak or what you are to say, for what you are to say will be given to you in that hour. For it is not You who speak, but the Spirit of your Father speaking through you. Brother will deliver brother over to death, and the father his child, and children will rise against parents and have them put to death, and you will be hated by all for my namesake. 
But the one who endures to the end will be saved. When they persecute you in one town, flee to the next. For truly I say to you, you will not have gone through all the towns of Israel before the Son of Man comes. A disciple is not above his teacher, nor a servant above his master. It is enough for the disciple to be like his master and the servant like his master. If they have called the master of the house of Beelzebub, how much more will they malign those of his household? So have no fear of them. For nothing is covered that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known. What I tell you in the dark, say in the light. And what you hear whispered, proclaim it on the housetops. And do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? And not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. But even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, therefore, for you are of more value than many sparrows. So everyone who acknowledges my name, who acknowledges me before men, I will also acknowledge before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I will also deny before my Father who is in heaven. Do not think that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I have not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to set a man against his father and a daughter against her mother and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a person's enemies will be those of his own household. Whoever loves his father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves his son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Whoever receives you receives me, and whoever receives me receives him who sent me. The one who receives a prophet because he's a prophet will receive a prophet's reward. And the one who receives a righteous person because he's a righteous person will receive a righteous person's reward. And whoever gives one of these little ones, even a cup of cold water because he is a disciple, truly I say to you, he will by no means lose his reward. This is God's word. This morning we are studying Matthew chapter 10. And if you got something to write with, and I encourage you to do, please take notes this morning. We've got a lot of ground to cover. And I encourage you to, to be one who doesn't just hear the word, but really engages with it, studies it, writes it down, uh, seeks to apply it, and then seeks to give it to someone else. Um, this morning our, our theme is this, missional living, proclaiming the Messiah. 
I am so grateful by God's grace and our planning that today, uh, this culmination day of what has been an amazing weekend for us as a church, uh, our, our Go Global Missions Week, today is our missions, Global Missions Emphasis Sunday, and I am so grateful that here we are in the middle of our study of Matthew. We don't have to go to somewhere else to talk about this missional mandate that God has given us. We are right here in, in the journey of Matthew where we've been studying. One of the, the core marks of our church is um, to have a missional mindset. And when we talk about um, global missions, namely what we are talking about, it is distinct from what we do locally. Um, Paul tells Timothy, for instance, uh, do your work, fulfill the work of an evangelist. There is a work that is needed here in our local community to continue to spread the gospel and see the church grow and more churches started amidst our own people. But there is another calling that God gives to us, his church. And that calling is distinct. It is a missional calling. It is to take the gospel across a cultural boundary and to get it to peoples in the world who have yet to hear of the name of Jesus, who have yet to have any believer amidst their group or any church planted that can do the work of evangelism. This is the work that Paul describes in Romans chapter 15 when he says clearly, I have made it my ambition to preach the gospel, not where Christ has already been named, lest I build on someone else's foundation, but as it is written, those who have never been told of him will see, and those who have never heard will understand. It is our heart as a church, one of our core purposes as a church is to be about the work of global missions. Yes, there is a lot to do in Memphis. There's a lot to do in Tennessee. There's a lot to do across our country of the United States, but friends, it is a both and thing. There is also a lot of work that needs to be done outside of our own people, our own city, our own state, and our own country. And we are called as a church to have a perspective and a desire, even an ambition like Paul, to make sure that we in our day are not living in a world where people groups have still never heard of the name of Jesus. How can they hear and those who, on whom they, how can they believe on whom they've never heard, Romans 10 says? And how can they hear without someone telling them? And that is what we're talking about here with our Global Emphasis Sunday. One of our core values, excuse me, core measures as a church is this. Some of you might have heard it, but it's our missional mindset. What we say here is one of the chief marks, this is why this message, this passage is so important for you as a disciple of Jesus. One of the things that we can tell if you are growing in your relationship with Jesus, if you are maturing in your faith, is this, in your life, do we see a clear calling and an active involvement to see the gospel spread and churches planted here at home, but also around the world? We long for you. God longs for you to be growing in a passion to see the gospel spread and more churches planted. Yes, here at home, but also both and in places where Christ has not been named. Our core truth for the day is this, and we're going to study this passage together. I hope you can write it down. Considering the cost and the blessings of missional living, we are called to live joyfully and fearlessly proclaiming Jesus so that all peoples might have the opportunity to know him.
Considering both the cost and the blessings, that is what Matthew 10 is all about. Matthew 10, Jesus is inviting us into missional living. Considering the cost, Jesus is going to teach us. Considering the blessings that Jesus is going to teach us. He is inviting you to live joyfully and fearlessly, proclaiming his name so that all peoples might have the opportunity to know him. Y'all ready? Matthew chapter 9, where we left off last week. If you remember last week, what we were talking about is the ministry of Jesus restoring lives. We looked at the 10 miracles that Matthew teaches us. And what we saw is over and over and over in these miracles that by, by God's great power, Jesus has been given authority over all of creation. And by God's great grace, he uses his authority to bring complete restoration in the lives of those who completely trust in him. And we saw person after person after person who personally experienced the restorative work of Jesus. And we talked about in our own lives, do we trust that Jesus can touch us? And he doesn't become unclean, but we become clean. Do we believe that Jesus can restore us? And we talked in very personal ways about the restorative work of Jesus in our lives as we trust in him. Now, interestingly, at the end of Matthew uh, chapter 9, we've got all of these people who have personally put their trust in him. They've gone from a place of outcast to a place of grace, from a place of unrest to a place of peace, from a place of brokenness to a place of healing. And, and, and this is our testimony, is it not? That we know God's grace and we know God's peace and we know God's healing. We have been changed by Jesus. And we are so grateful for his grace, his healing, his restoration in our lives. Matthew makes a strategic shift in verse 35 of chapter 9. Because he moves from these personal stories of Jesus' restoration, and then he tells us, verse 35, And Jesus went throughout, where? Look at this word, where? All. He went throughout all, all what? Two places he went. First, it says he goes to cities. And secondly, it says he goes to villages. In other words, he's going to places where there's urban centers, and he's going out to the remote places where there's sparse populations. Jesus, Matthew, showing us these personal encounters with Jesus, and then it says Jesus begins to move out to all. And it says, what is he doing? He gives us Three things here. What does it show us that he's doing? He's teaching in their synagogues. He's proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom. And he's healing every disease and every affliction. In other words, if we can understand in a very personal and individualized way what Jesus is doing in these ten instances that Matthew's just outlined in 8 and 9, then we begin to understand God's heart for all people. He's moving out with that same restorative ministry, not just for these 10, but 
all people. And he's proclaiming and he's teaching and he's healing. He has a heart for all. And interestingly, you see a shift. Verse 36, it says, when he saw the what? The crowds. He had compassion. This word is, he was moved in his gut with pity because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Jesus moves from these individuals and he looks out. And what does he look out and he see? He sees hundreds, thousands, millions in our world today, billions of people just like these that he has just touched. And he is moved in his gut with compassion for all. And he sees in all a need for this restorative work of God to take place in each and every life. And then it says, look here, then, circle it, I want you to study your Bibles. After Jesus is looking out and he's seeing what he's seeing, then he turns to his disciples, he turns to us, and he says, oh, the harvest is plentiful. Oh, what God can do. The harvest is plentiful. But the laborers, they are few. Pray. Pray. Therefore, why do we pray? Because the harvest is plentiful and because more needed. Therefore, this is why we pray. We pray, oh God, would you send more laborers into the harvest that your restorative work might take effect in all people. Do you see? Questions. Do you see God's heart? Do you see God's heart? Do you see the need? Do you see the potential? Lift up your eyes. Do you see it? You've experienced it yourself. But what he's asking you, lift up your eyes. Look around the city. Look around this state. Look around this country and lift your eyes to the nations. Do you see God sees all of them from the cities to the village and he has compassion. He longs to restore people back to himself. What a great God we have. What a gracious God we have. What a glorious God we have. He longs for people to be restored. Do you see and do you see the need? Do you see the potential the harvest is plentiful. Do you see what could happen as people meet Jesus? You just saw it in these 10 miracles. Can you imagine as more and more people reach out and they call upon his name and they reach out and touch him and he touches them and they're healed. They're restored. Do you see the potential of what God can do? Do you long for others to be restored? This is the question. Now, he transitions from here to chapter 10. 
We put these chapter numbers in there. Jesus didn't write these chapter numbers, nor did Matthew. So don't let them get you all confused, okay? Read it like a book. It's intentional. It's not like 10 is separated from 9. As soon as he says, I want you to pray for more laborers to go into the harvest, do you know what he does? What's it say in verse 1? He goes, hey, 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 you. That was the message version, I'm sorry. ESV. <laughs> and he called to him his 12 disciples. And he called to him his 12 disciples. What is he doing here? So often when we read the verse, okay, Lord, we're going to pray for more laborers to go into the harvest. And we pray for more people out there. And Jesus looks at us in here and goes, how about you? As you're praying, do you know that I'm calling? And he looks up at his disciples. And just after he said to pray, and he calls them. He calls to him his 12 disciples. And then what does he do to them? What does he do? After he calls them, what does he do? Gives them authority. Authority to do what? Extend his restorative work into the world. Their authority is just to, it's, it's an extension of what we've just seen Jesus doing. They're going out not to be about themselves. They're going out to be about Jesus and to cast out demons and to heal, to bring his restorative work, to proclaim the kingdom, he says in, in chapter 10. See God's heart. See the need. See the potential. Long for others to know Jesus. Pray for more laborers. And Jesus looks at you and goes, how about you? And the question we got to add to our question list, all right? Here it is. Do you recognize your role? Do you recognize your role to play in this incredible, in this incredible work of Jesus in our world? You see, Matthew chapter 8 and Matthew chapter 9, you can understand kind of as this. Matthew 8 and 9 is our, you could say, my experience of Jesus' personal restoration. But in Matthew chapter 10, what we're looking at is our, or, or my understanding of Jesus' heart for this restoration for all peoples. And his desire for, for us, or you could say me, to be a part of it. Do you see? That is what is going on in these chapters. Do you recognize your role to play? Now, some of you who are biblical exegetes, you are going to say to me, but wait a second, because hmm, these are apostles. Look at chapter, one, uh, chapter 10, verses 1 and 2. You see, Pastor Barrett, it actually says that he called these guys to be apostles. And don't you know that apostles are different than us? See, they were people who saw the risen Christ, and they were people who fellowshiped with him, and they were people who were specifically chosen by him and given the ability to do things, you know, in, in that time and that day for the foundation of the kingdom that were different than us. And I go, okay, cool, yeah, you're right. They are apostles, and apostles are distinct. I mean, it goes through in Matthew chapter 10 verse 8 even, he says, and these 12 Jesus sent out saying these things. And you go, well, those are for these 12, Pastor Barrett. 
This is, this is not a sermon for us. This, he's lifting his eyes to these 12, and it's different than us. But what I say to you, as we consider this, look at, look at verses 1 and 2 again in those things that we circled, okay? Chapter 10, verses 1 and 2. What are the, he's calling them with purpose, right? Calling them to make disciples to extend his work. He's giving them authority. Guess what this sounds a lot like? You don't want to believe it from this passage. How about the Great Commission, Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 to 20? Do you see a parallel? After Jesus crucified for our sin, buried, risen from the grave, he comes and he gives a commission to his disciples that all of us without question would interpret as not just for these 12, but for every one of us. And look at the parallels. Jesus comes and he says, all authority has been given to me. Therefore, I'm entrusting to you, go and make disciples. Where, Jesus? Of all nations. Go, baptize, go teach, go bring the restorative work of Christ in this world. Friends, this is for all of us. This call is for all of us. And I want to take the opportunity just to make sure that we're all on the same page that you understand that we talked about this Friday night, but when we use this phrase, all nations here, what, we're, what Jesus is literally saying is pantita ethne. I want you to make disciples, not of all 196 geopolitical nations. He's saying, I want you to make disciples of all 17,000 today, ethnic people groups in the world. I want you to make sure that my gospel goes forth so that all people, just like he has a vision in Revelation 5, his heart from the beginning, from Genesis to Revelation, Revelation 5, people from every tribe, every tongue. He's not saying from every geopolitical nation around the throne. No, every tribe, every tongue, every people group. Go make disciples of, of all people groups. That's what he's saying. So in other words, what he's describing here. He's saying, I want you to make disciples, yes, of our people group, your people group, but I also want you to make disciples of other people groups. This is for all of us everywhere. So, I want to make sure that that is clear. So, our core truth, considering the cost and blessings of missional living, we are called to live joyfully and fearlessly proclaiming Jesus so that all peoples might have the opportunity to know him. He's saying, lift up your eyes and recognize the role I want you to play. And I'm asking, are you willing to proclaim Jesus so that the restorative work that he has been given can spread for the glory of God and the gladness of all peoples? Amen? Now, the rest of this chapter is he's giving the disciples challenges and blessings. Jesus knows... Um, as we step out, and, and I believe that there are some people here in our church who God will call in a distinct way to step out with their vocation, with their life, and move them to another culture for the opportunity of an unreached group to have the opportunity to know Jesus. I also believe all of us, whether we are called like that or not, are, have been given this commission to step out and to live joyfully and fearlessly for the sake of his name. Now, what he knows is, this is hard. 
There are some challenges we're going to face. Even just what we talked about Friday night, if you were here, you remember some of the most unreached people groups in the world, in fact, 95% of them, where do they live? In this area called the 1040 window. This is an area from North Africa stretching all the way to, to, to East or South Asia, 10 degrees, 40 degree latitude. They, the bulk of them live in here. Now, when you look at this map and you look at how that's drawn and you think about what we're calling people to do to go and live their life amidst these peoples, most of them are unreached in this area. What do you think will happen as people move into some of these areas for the sake of Jesus? See, Jesus knows as he's giving us his word in Matthew 10 that what the disciples and what we are stepping into in obedience to proclaim his name will come at a cost. The health, wealth, and prosperity gospel is a false gospel, friends. Jesus does not guarantee that by following him and making much of him that you're going to be safe, happy, comfortable in this life. But he does promise that you will be with him forever. (laughs) And that's enough. Some of us, I believe, quench the Holy Spirit's calling in our lives in moments. We quench the Holy Spirit's leadership in our lives, maybe in big decisions. Some of us even wrestling with the call to go overseas because we look, one of the main reasons that we're not sending more missionaries is because people consider the cost too high. And Jesus says, I want you to count the cost Anybody who doesn't take up their own cross and follow me is not worthy of being my disciple. Don't you know what I've done for you? Come and live for me. He's saying, count the cost. Now, he goes through several costs of missional living. I'm just going to state these simply because I really don't have to expound on, on them because Jesus does it himself. First, he says, First cost of mission of living is this, being arrested by authorities. Verses 16 to 18. He says, behold, I'm sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. So be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. Beware of men because what will they do? They're going to deliver you over to courts. And they're going to flog you in the synagogues. And you will be dragged before governors and kings for my sake to bear witness before them and the Gentiles. There's a cost, and the first cost is, it is likely for some of you, just like with our brother and a team just a few weeks ago that was there working with him in his region of the world, they were held up by authorities. Some of us will go in just a few weeks to an area of that is completely unreached. They haven't had church planner training. They have been begging for it, but one of the reasons we've been so hesitant to go is because we know that the risk is great. We don't know what will happen. But Jesus says it is likely that as we, as the people of God, move into this missional life of proclaiming Jesus, some of us will get held up by government authorities. Secondly, we will experience family betrayal. In verse 21, Jesus says, Brother will deliver brother over to death, and the father his child, and children will rise against parents and have them put to death. This is almost, I mean, we cannot even fathom this, that fathers and children, mothers and their children could be so opposed to the gospel that literally they would try to kill one another rather than believing. 
If you don't believe this is happening in the world today, I'm telling you, I could tell you personal stories. Come talk to me after. Just this year, one of those who came to Christ was baptized from one such country. As they went back to that country, they literally were persecuted, hunted down. A death warrant was put on their head simply because, and this is by their family, simply because they desired to testify to Jesus. We think we are suffering here in America? Yeah, right. But I'm telling you, Jesus says joyfully and fearlessly, you move into this. But you gotta understand the cost. Third, not only family betrayal, but third, being hated by all. Verse 22, Jesus says, and you will be hated by all for, your, for my namesake. Friends, it is possible that in our life as believers that some of us could be tempted to want to keep friendships more than we want to keep our faithfulness to gospel mission. And when we get to a point where we are not willing to let go of friendships for the sake of the name of Jesus, we are in a scary point. Jesus says, you ought to value me even above any cost of relationship. Be careful not to value your own reputation above Jesus. There's a cost. Number four, being persecuted. Jesus says, when they persecute you, when they persecute you, yeah, you could be persecuted and you could be driven out of town. Flee to the next you want to believe or not believe this is happening? One of our dear sisters, one of the missionaries, members of our church, OBGYN, who was called out of this church to go take the gospel to the nations just this summer, was kicked out of her unreached people group because the government said, nope, we don't want Christian missionaries here. And they shut the entire enterprise down. We were shocked, but if we were more faithful to heed and to believe Jesus' words, I believe we probably would not have been as surprised because isn't this what Jesus says? They will persecute you and you will find yourself fleeing. It is a cost. Fifth, being maligned. Verse 25. This is a real encouraging message, isn't it? Being maligned, verse 25. He says, it is enough for the disciple to be like his teacher and the servant like his master. Listen, if they've called the master of the house Beelzebub, how much more will they malign those of his household? As John Piper says, Jesus died in our place so that we might escape the wrath of God, not the wrath of man. Jesus died in our place so that we might escape the wrath of God, not the wrath of man. He was called to suffer for the sake of propitiation, and we are called to suffer for the sake of propagation. Six. One of the last costs that he mentions here of missional living is that there is a cost of being killed. Verse 28, Jesus says, And do not fear those who can kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Which implies it is likely 
that for some of you, and if you read, if you just, I would just encourage you guys to read more biographies, study the history of the church, study the history of Christian missions. We in our day in 2020 here in America need a dose of perspective because countless brothers and sisters have faced the most extreme risk and paid the greatest cost. We have a trail of martyrs before us in the church, people who lived and, yes, died because they wanted people, other people to know Jesus. And Jesus says, for some of us, we got to remember not to elevate safety in our missional living to the point that literally we begin to think that there's some mistake if missionaries are killed. That is not a mistake. That is a God-glorifying death. Some people who are killed for Jesus, our dear sister Kristen, we had a talk through before she went, and even in the midst of the most severe persecution in the last year, we were talking about, on a, every time we were calling and talking, I was saying to her, because we know what happens in that place where she was, there are stories in recent history of people being, they rush in with guns and they just shoot them all up. And we are talking every time we talk. Do you know what could happen? And are you resting in God? And she would say, I know. And I'm ready. And if I die, just like Paul said, whether I live or whether I die, I want my life to count for Jesus. It's one of the costs, the cost of being killed. So, we have the cost, but now, friends, as we think about the cost here, I'm just asking, I mean, I really believe some of us are not, as Jesus is saying, pray, pray to the Lord of the harvest, and he looks up at you, he says, There's an, the harvest is plentiful, the laborers are few, and he looks up at you and he's calling you. I believe that some of us are at times questioning his call, at times quenching God's leadership in our lives, at times not walking joyfully and fearlessly into this life of missional living because we look at the cost and we go, well, Jesus wouldn't want me to do that. You're wrong. You're wrong. There is a cost. And he says, if you want to follow me, take up your cross. In other words, be willing to put all of your selfish desires away and live your life with a passion for the glory of my name no matter the cost. You see? But friends, there's not just cost. He named six costs, but guess what? There's 10 blessings. You ready? Let me show you the blessings. Because in this passage, over and over and over, he's not just helping us to understand the cost, but he's also helping us to see the blessings. Number one, oh, friends, as you step on a missional living, there is a blessing, number one, of being sent by Christ. Verse 16, he says, behold, I am sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves, so be wise as serpents and as innocent as doves. Friends, is there anything more joyful? Is there anything more satisfying than the blessing of being saved and then commissioned by the living Savior of the world. Is there any purpose? Some of us are longing for purpose with our lives. Is there any purpose that could be more deeply satisfying 
than knowing that the God of all eternity, the God who made everything, who put it all into motion, who created your life, is now redeemed your life and allowing you to live for the very things that in the end will matter for all eternity. This is a great blessing to be commissioned by the living God. Secondly, there's a blessing not only being sent by Christ, but a blessing of being given words by the Spirit of God. Verses 19 and 20. Jesus says, when they deliver you over, don't be anxious how you're going to speak. Don't be anxious what you're going to say. Because what you need to say is going to be given to you in that hour. What? What? You mean I don't have to, like, have a speech prepared for when they drag me to the police office? Like, I don't have to have my, like, martyrdom speech ready knowing that they might kill me. These are the last words of Barrett Bowden, the martyr. No, 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 no. Don't you worry about that. Don't freak out. This is not about you. See? For it's not you who speak, but the Spirit of your Father speaking through you. I have never in my life felt, and to this day, I never feel more intimate with the Spirit of God than when I'm living on mission for Christ. I never feel that sense of his presence and power with me any more than when I'm living on mission for Christ. There are many days that I read the journal that I had when I lived in West Africa because some days I just long to be back in that place where I was with the Lord. Because there in that place of complete desperation and depend upon him and in mission in the midst of persecution, there I'm telling you, those who go and live missionally, whether it's here or overseas, they experience the Spirit of God in special ways. And that is a blessing to be abiding and to be giving, sensing that God has given you what you need when you need it. Number three, there is the blessing of experiencing God's fatherly care. God's fatherly care. Verse 20, look at your Bibles. He says this, For it is not you who speak, but the Spirit of your Father in heaven. Friends, I don't think this is a mistake. Because one of the things that he said is a cost is that you might be betrayed by your own family. For many of us who step out, it is potential that your mom or your daddy are going to get upset that you're moving to another country. That your grandmama's going to say, but there's so much need here at home, sweetie. Or what about my grandkids? That they're going to potentially not support you in this. Or maybe others that you lead to Christ while you are on mission are going to lose a lot to make that decision. And you're going to be left wondering like I was in West Africa. Oh my word, what is left for them? They have lost everything. As I saw my first convert from the Maninka people from Islam and they lost everything. Their family turned on them, hated them. They lost jobs and family and friends, everything. And I thought, oh my goodness, Lord, what have I done as if I had done something? No, Jesus had just rescued this young man. And do you know what? Jesus replaces his family with a greater joy and blessing than his family could ever provide. There's no coincidence that he says, the spirit, your father, is in heaven. He is caring for you. You might have to leave your mom and your dad, but you will always, forever and always, have an eternal father who loves you and cares for you. And he has promised he will never leave you or forsake you. Amen? Number four, there's a blessing of salvation at the end 
for all. Verse 22, Jesus says, And you will be hated by all for my name's sake, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. And friends, at the end of the life, of a faithful life of those who love and trust and follow Jesus, there is a promise of salvation. Even after we die, we will be raised from the dead. And all of us who trust Jesus will hear his voice saying, Behold, I am making all things new. There is no more sorrow, no more pain, no more death, no more sin. We will be in the very presence of Christ, and we will get to hear his words from his mouth as he looks upon our face. Well done. Number five, the blessing of knowing that the Son of Man, that Jesus, is coming in judgment and in mercy. Verse 23 Jesus says, when they persecute you in one town, flee to the next. For truly I say to you, you will not have gone through all the towns of Israel before the Son of Man comes. What a joy. What an encouragement to those who live missionally for Jesus, and especially among the nations. That at the end of the day, the work is not ours. The final say is not ours. Jesus is a good and just God. And he will come to judge and to deliver. And on the last day, he will vindicate his people and his truth. Number six, there's a blessing of belonging to Jesus' household. Verse 25, Jesus says, It is enough for the disciple to be his teacher and his servant like his master. If they've called the master of his house Beelzebub, how much more will they malign those, listen to this, of his household? You know what? No matter what kind of rejection you experience, Jesus wants you to know that he will never reject you. You are his. He is yours. He has adopted you into his family. You are part of his house forever. Number seven, there's a blessing of knowing that the truth will triumph. Number six, excuse me, 20, verse 26 so have no fear of them, Jesus says, for nothing is covered that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known. People today might call you names, say you are crazy for believing what you believe. People today might talk to you about what you share of the gospel and they might say that is the most ridiculous thing ever. Who could believe in those kind of fairy tales? Who can believe in those kind of lies? But I'm telling you there is coming a day that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is truly the Lord. There is coming a day that the truth of Jesus and the truth of the gospel will be known and you will be seen as one who is allegiant to the true God. It's coming a day. Number eight. There's a blessing of knowing that we have an immortal soul. Jesus says, do not fear those who can kill the body, but who cannot kill the soul. That's verse 28. Do not fear those who can kill the body. Don't you worry. Why? Because God has made you alive. And for those who believe in him, they have been given eternal life. And friends, once he gives you life, your life will never die because it's his life in you and he has been raised from the dead. You will live forever. 
What a joy on a daily basis living on mission for your most precious gift on a daily basis to not be your temporal comforts, but rather your eternal security in God. What a gift of God. What a blessing to be having that perspective on a daily basis. That comes as we live on mission. Number nine, there's a blessing of having a sovereign father. Verses 29, we read, and do, you, do not fear those who kill the body but can kill the soul. Rather fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny and one of them not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. Our God is a sovereign God. But even the hairs on your head are all numbered. Our God is a sovereign God. Do you understand? God, at this moment, and every moment as we live on mission, is governing all things. It gave me so much comfort as I lived on the mission field. Missionaries today, friends, as you step out on mission... You can rest that at this moment, our God is in total control. What a gift. How freeing. What a joy. This is the way to be fearless. Our God is in control. In the end, we know he wins. Number 10, the blessing of being valued by God. Verse 31, he says, Fear not. This is the fearless thing. Be fearless. Why? Because you know you're of more value than the sparrows. So everyone who acknowledges me before men, I will also acknowledge before my Father. Fear not. You are loved and valued by God. He delights in you. Amen. So as I close this morning, and as Robbie comes, I want to go back to the main truth. And it's this, considering the costs and considering the blessings of missional living, we are called to live joyfully and fearlessly, proclaiming Jesus so that why? All peoples might have the opportunity to know him. I want to go back to Matthew chapter 9. Verse 35. Jesus went throughout all the cities and the villages. Jesus has a heart for all to proclaim and to teach and to heal. And he lifts up his eyes and he looks out. And he sees the crowds. And I think he's wondering about you and me. Do, do we have a perspective to lift our eyes and to recognize, oh my word, this, this restorative work that Jesus has done in me, I'm looking out and I'm seeing so many people that need to experience him in this way. And I long for that. Jesus longs for that. And I do too. I hope you do. Do we long for more to know, for more to experience him? And he looks upon the crowds and he has compassion because he sees sheep that are like a, without a shepherd. In our world today, as he looks out, he sees 17,000 people groups. And like we've discussed this weekend, he knows that today, 7,000 of those 17,000, 41% of them still have no 
access to the good news of Jesus. They're unreached. No believers, no churches. Another 3,000 are unengaged. 3,000 out of the 7,000, unengaged, unreached. 17% of the people groups in the world. 2020, right now. Not only do they have such a small Christian presence, there's no one even engaging them. No one has made it to their city or their village. And Jesus is saying, do you look up at the crowds of people? And do you see what I see? Do you long for more people to experience him? Do you see the potential? The harvest is plentiful. But do you see the need? The laborers are few. And do you recognize the connection between chapter 9 and 10? As Jesus, after he says, pray for more laborers, he looks at you and he says, how about you? Will you come? Will you come and follow my call upon your life to live in such a way that you are a part of what I'm doing in this world? You have the opportunity to bring restoration, to bring the good news of Jesus Oh yeah, count the cost. Here's what it's going to cost you. But oh friend, here's what it's going to gain you. Come and follow me. Don't live for yourselves. Live for the glory of my name. Learn to live with joy and without fear for the opportunity for all peoples to know me. Oh God, I pray right now for our church. I'm praying, Lord, that you would call people forth. Oh Lord. May we understand what it looks like to be your disciples is to be living missionally for the sake of your name, Lord. Oh, Lord, would you call us, whether it's greater intentionality here at home or whether it's giving of ourselves in a new way, in a new direction, in a new place for a new people. Oh, Lord, would you call us forth? Would you grow us that we might have a true love and desire to live for your name. Thank you, Jesus, for your love and for your grace. Thank you for your restorative work in me. And I pray, Lord, that it would not stop with me, but, Lord, it would extend through me. Oh, God, would I experience greater joy in you as I step out to make much of you here among the nations. Church, we have a time now to respond. This is your time just to be with the Lord if you need to come to the altar and pray. If you need to come, talk to me or one of our prayer counselors will be up front, whether it's a decision for Christ, response to a call of God on your life. Whatever it is, this is your time just to yield your heart to the Lord with the words of this song. I'll say yes.